Well, good morning again to you, and I do want to invite you this morning uh, as we've come to the sermon portion of our service. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Jude, this little old uh, book at the end of the New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, or maybe if you do have one, you look down the row and see somebody without, there should be a little blue hardback Bible in the row somewhere that is within your reach. I invite you to, to use that also. As you're turning to the book of Jude, though, uh, I really want to, as we've come to the second of four studies as we're going through this book together, we've come to the second portion. Here we are in the second week. We've really come to the books, the heart of this book, just the concern of this book that we're going through together. From this point on, God, through his word, really gives us an assessment of the situation that's going on. If you remember from last week, I was trying to stress, really God's word was stressing to us that truth matters. What a Christian believes matters, and it matters to the highest degree, but not only what you believe, if you remember, not only what you believe, but why you believe it. Jude shows us great concern for the gospel of Jesus Christ as he's writing, and we talked about this being a diagnosis, as he's writing to this early church community. He's writing to a, a little local church congregation, if you will. Remember from verse 4, we read that there are certain people who have crept in. They crept in unnoticed, and they have perverted the grace of our God into sensuality. They've perverted the grace of God into licentiousness, and they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude is going to plead with them. God in His Word is pleading with us this morning out of the great concern over the false teaching that is actually from within the Christian church. It's actually the teaching that's from within this little local Christian community. This false or distorted gospel that they're teaching are leading people astray. It's leading people to abuse God's grace, to abuse and use God's mercy and His grace. But Jude's going to plead with us this morning to hold fast to the truth of God's Word. Now, it's important for us this morning, as we come to this, the second or fourth study, this morning, it's important for us because I believe, I do, I believe this, I believe at the end of the day that we feel that our Christianity has more to do with how we perceive God in our own hearts more than it actually has to do with biblical doctrine and biblical truth. That I believe at the end of the day, we actually, what we believe about our Christianity, about our Christian life, has more to do with what we think God to be, more than what God has revealed to us, revealed Himself to actually to be, to be about His own character and His own will for us in our lives. So, we're going to pick up this morning, and we're going to deal with two aspects of sin and the ungodly. If you've already turned in the, the bulletin in the back, where we usually have a, a message outline, I said usually... That means there's really not an outline there this morning. There's a lot of white space for message notes this morning. But as we go through, it'll be fairly simple, I think, just a couple trains of thought that we're going to be going through this morning. We're going to be talking about two aspects of sin and the ungodly. First off, they will be dealt with by God. So therefore, guess what? It matters. But here's the key point. God's going to deal with it, and it matters. When we think about sin, and in particular, the ungodly, think about these false teachers, these false prophets, 
It matters whether they claim to be godly, whether they claim to be spiritual or not. It will be dealt with in their lives. And this is going to be, this is going to become important for us this morning. We're going to unpack this a little bit. But it is by their fruits that you shall know them. That's the second part. The first aspect of sin and the ungodly is it will be dealt with by God, therefore it matters. Whether you claim to be godly, whether you claim to be spiritual or not, the second aspect is that their attitude and their actions are revealed. It is by their fruits that you shall know them. So I want to ask you this morning to stand out of reverence for God's Word. I'm going to read from Jude, verses 5 through 13. Hear God's Word. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, but these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are blemishes on your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Remain standing and pray with me. Heavenly Father, you call us, you call us to believe and to live your word, to trust it, to obey it, to embrace this truth that's been revealed to us, to embrace it by faith and to live out that faith. So as we hear your word this morning, would you... Lord, by your most holy spirit, would you help us would you help us to hear it but but not as those who are skeptical or not as those who are not all that interested in it, but Father, as those who hear in order that we would believe and in order that we would live that you would grant this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and only master. Amen, please be seated. Now I've already said this. But I want to say it again, that Jude is writing this letter. It's important that we understand that Jude is writing this letter out of the great concern he has about the influence of false teachers and the gospel that they represent. Now these teachers, as we're going to call them, and as we saw last week, they've cheapened 
the grace of God. They've cheapened God's grace in such a way that a person basically can live the Christian life. This is what they're saying. A person can live the Christian life and basically live it any way that they want to. You can live in, 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 in morality and be a Christian. They're teaching a gospel that says immorality and the Christian life are compatible. They're like this. Now, at our house, I don't know, some of you may, may have this or over the years have had those little wooden train sets. We have the little train table and the little Thomas the Trains. Now, Thomas doesn't have one of these, the little tenders, the little coal cars, but you've got your James and your Hero and your Percy's and all these little trains on the train set. And all these little trains are so fun to hook up together and to pull around the track. Well, they're, they're connected by magnets. And these magnets, they just, and they just link up together. But I don't know if you, if you realize this or remember maybe from 7th grade science project about magnets. If they're not turned the right way, those magnets don't like to stick to each other. Well, sometimes you, you can't tell which way's forward and which one's backwards on those little caboose cars. And if you have it faced the wrong way and you're trying to impress your child and, and show them how cool dad is and you back that train up to that tender and then and it starts pushing it backwards because they're not compatible. Those magnets don't go together. They're never going to match up. They're, they're battling each other. There's a struggle there to connect. So it just... But if you turn it the right way, when you back that train up, it comes to it and it connects and you can pull it all over the track. Well, they're teaching that immorality and the Christian life are compatible, that they link up. But when God's Word is revealing to us out of God's truth that immorality and the Christian life is a battle, that it's a struggle, that there's a fight going on. And there's a fight going on whether you realize it sitting there in this chair or not. The war is going on. The fight is being fought whether you recognize it sitting there or not. Immorality in the Christian life are not compatible. They don't go together. But that's the gospel that's being presented to these people in this early Christian church, in this Christian community. That those things go together. They're saying that the gospel of grace and Jesus Christ does not lead to a changed life. Well, I want to stand up here this morning and say the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus absolutely leads to a changed life. A perfect life right now? No. Sanctification. Our being sanctified in God is throughout the whole man. It's throughout the whole person. Yet, it's imperfect in this life. But we must realize that these two things do not go together. There are many Christian teachers and preachers and Bible scholars who really have made it their business to lead Christians away from the truthfulness of the Bible and the claims that the gospel has on us. And that's what this little short book in the New Testament is writing about. There are so many people today who are extremely happy. They'll get so excited to convince you of the safety and the security of your salvation, yet they encourage you to live your life the same way you did before you were convinced of your sin and your need of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, we'll look next week at some of the, some of the tolerance that's all around us. We live in such a, a tolerant age, an age of license. We want a God with no rules. 
where we have little or we have no responsibility and we're given no obligations. Do you want a Christianity without commitment? If you're someone, maybe you're, you don't know your standing, maybe you're exploring the things of the Christian life. Maybe you've known your Savior for years. Do you want or do you have a Christianity with no commitment? I'm constantly reading articles. I, I love it. When I get on Fox News or just somewhere online, I'm always clicking on those articles. I can read so many places. New York Times report here and there that talk about the fastest groups, that are the fastest growing groups in America are those who claim to be spiritual. The fastest groups that are growing in America are those who claim to be religious. They claim to be spiritual. Now, usually they're affiliated with no particular religious group, no particular church or denomination, but they want to pick and they want to choose their spirituality. I had a professor in seminary. It was one of those. He was a professor, but he also was a pastor. And he called this a little bit from here and a little bit from there. Spirituality, he called that salad bar Christianity. That was the salad bar Christianity, which is, you know, you go up there with your big bowl, you know, your, your cool bowl, you know, so it doesn't wilt your lettuce. And you go up there with your big bowl to the salad bar, and you get, if you want the iceberg lettuce, you get the iceberg. You know, you don't have to get the spinach loose. If you're feeling like spicy ranch today, you get spicy ranch today. Croutons, jalapenos, pickles, the boiled egg, whatever you want, if it fits your diet, you can get it. It's whatever you're in the mood for. You're making it what you want to be. You're creating your own. And that's what we want to do with our Christian lives. That's what we want to do with our God, with, get this, our Creator. But we want to create something of our own. If you don't want to be bound by rules, obligations, doctrine, and truth, which this little old book, this little old letter in the New Testament is right about. If you don't want to be bound by these rules or obligations, if the thought of that makes you think of chains, if it makes you think of being hindered, then you are completely missing the freedom that is offered in the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. So here we go. So we're going to deal with sin and the ungodly with verses 5 through 10, which I've already read. I want us to see that God will deal with the ungodly. Now, Jude has given us three Old Testament examples of God's judgment against sin. But this is presented for us so that we understand that even a falsely professed faith leads to destruction. Again, it's the importance of the truth of the gospel, that if we reject the truth or use the grace of God to live our lives how we want, then God's judgment is not only inevitable, but it is that God will bring this destruction, this destroying judgment on us. But he uses three examples. Israelites in the wilderness. Remember this in verses 5 to 10. Here's the three examples. Israelites in the wilderness, fallen angels who followed Satan, and then the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now he uses these three somewhat familiar examples because of a desire to, to really remind us of those who live out of accordance from the truth will always meet divine judgment. Now next week we're going to look at the return of Christ and what the purpose of Christ's return is. So he's really leading into that for next week. 
I think we're going to see God's judgment, God's justice, rather, in a whole new light. Well, Jude proceeds to give these three Old Testament examples of God's judgment against sin. So, remember the Israelites in the wilderness? Do you remember these people? A people brought out of Egypt, but many of those same people, they did not believe. And what happened to them? Do you remember? For many, 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 many years, 40 years out in the wilderness, they died. Their unbelief and their disobedience led to their destruction. So Jude says, he destroyed those who did not believe. What was their sin? What was their sin? Their sin was unbelief. Then his second example, the fallen angels. How are they described? Very interestingly, we read, they did not stay within their own position of authority. They abandoned their proper dwelling. This is what he says of these angels who followed Satan. They sought a position which God had not given them. Even as Satan sought to be exalted in a way that God had not designed or created him to be, and therefore are bound for judgment, awaiting God's final judgment. That's what he's talking about. What was their sin? What was the angel's sin? Can you see it? Do you recognize their sin here? Pride. Arrogance. Do you see that here? Then he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. Their immorality, their unnatural immorality, and so God rained down fire from heaven. And Jude says that this is a picture. This is a picture of the judgment that's awaiting all those who are immoral. So what was their sin? Immorality, and in particular, sexual immorality. So notice, Jude's given us three examples from the Old Testament. One of unbelief, one of pride, and one of immorality. That's what he's done with these three examples from the Old Testament. That's our history lesson this morning. And then he says, and that is exactly how these false teachers are. You see, he's setting up for this, this little congregation that he's writing to to be able to see that it is by their fruits that you shall know them. It is by their fruits that you shall know them. And then he contrasts this judgment of God and this immoral behavior of the false prophets with Michael, the archangel. Listen to what he says about the false prophets and then listen to what he says in contrast about Michael. In verse 8, he describes these false prophets, this local congregation, this way. He says, in the same way or yet in like manner, these men also by dreaming, they defile the flesh and reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. See, apparently, what they're doing, they're claiming to have these dreams. They're claiming to have these visions that nobody else is having. They're claiming to be getting information from God that nobody else has. The will's being recreated, and they're the only ones that have the new blueprint. God's revealing it to them and them only. So they're wanting to raise themselves up with this knowledge that they're getting that nobody else knows about. So he says, look what happens. So he tells his congregation, he says, but look what happens. When they teach, what do they do? Did you, did you see it when we read the passage to begin? Did you see what happens when they teach? It says that they defile the flesh. That is, what that means for us is that their teaching leads to or it promotes this immorality. They've cheapened the grace of God. Secondly, 
It rejects authority. One of the illustrations that he used was the fallen angels who rejected the authority that God had given them, and they left their proper dwelling, which we don't have time to, to focus on this morning, but they've left their proper dwelling in the place and thus were judged. And what else? They blaspheme the glorious ones. They speak flippantly about the things that they don't know about. So he's telling us what they claim to know, they actually do not know about. They're just speaking off the cuff. They're just speaking flippantly about the things that they don't even know. And so in contrast to this, he says, look at verse 9. In contrast to the angels, verse 9. Michael, the archangel, when he disputed or he contended with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men, this is verse 10, these men, these people, they talk about the things which they don't understand. He says, these dreamers, these visionaries, these prophets, they're claiming to teach new things, but in the process, they're defiling the flesh. In the process, they're leading you down a path of destruction. That is inevitable. Whether you claim to be spiritual, whether you claim to be godly or not, So as they've rejected this authority, certainly even Jude's authority that's set before them, whoever else has spiritual authority over this local congregation, they're rejecting the authority and claiming to have such really spiritual power that they could just speak down with what they've been given by God, that they can do it, that they can speak it down, that they can claim to have this power that everybody needs. Do you see what they're doing? They're actually claiming to do the work that has been reserved for God. See, it's that pride, it's that arrogance that's coming in there, that's crept in. And he's saying, stay alert. Remember from last week that this letter is a, there's a fight going on, you're in the ring, keep your gloves up. Don't retire to your corner. It's a stay alert. They've crept in unnoticed. The point is this, that God's grace produces trust and humility and holiness. And I want us to see that this morning. That God's grace produces trust, humility, and holiness in the lives of these false teachers showed no trust. They were trusting in themselves. No humility and no holiness, but unbelief, pride, and immorality. This shows us that they're teaching and these teachers are not from God. He's telling, Judah's telling this local congregation, and he's also telling us to be discerning about those who teach. Again, I think I already said it this morning, but going back last week, don't believe what I'm telling you because I'm standing up here telling you. Know what you believe, but know why you believe it because God's Word has revealed it to you. There are many who claim to be true Christians and faithful teachers of the Bible who do not know God, but how will you know them? Jude says, by their fruits you shall know them. But Jude also tells us this morning, he tells us this because as we examine our own lives, as we examine our own lives, we are to see that grace produces a deeper faith and trust in God and humility and holiness in our lives. 
Now, the second thing that Jude teaches here in this passage from verses 11 through 13, I really think is quite simple. That life shows the heart. Life shows the heart. A person's life shows a person's heart. And so Jude's point is that these false prophets can be identified by their character, their attitude, their actions, much like you and me. And he uses several illustrations over the course of three small little verses, from verses 11 to 13, to describe these false teachers. First of all, he says they've gone the way of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. You may or may not be familiar with all this. So real quick, you remember Cain, that unloving, unfaithful man who kills a man more righteous than himself, he says, with these false teachers. They've slandered those more righteous than themselves. They're speaking of things flippantly that they know nothing about. Secondly, they're like Balaam. Remember the prophet that the enemies of Israel tried to hire to actually to, to prophesy, to curse Israel. He was hired for pay for his so-called prophetic trade. They basically went to him and said, Hey, I'll tell you what. This uh, prophetic trade you got going on for yourself, if you will come, if you will come and uh, do your prophesying and give us a favorable outcome, we'll make it worth your while. These men were in it for the almighty dollar. They're in it for the old greenback. That's what he's pointing out for us. They're teaching what they're teaching because they're in it because they are, they're making it worth their while to give them a favorable outcome in their prophecy. Thirdly, Korah. They rebelled against Moses' authority and eventually was judged by God. Again, someone who rejects divinely appointed authority. So he's just unpacking, really, verses 5 through 10. And then we get right here at verses 12 and 13. And I love this. I love this. I get excited about this. Okay. So here we are. He gives us six metaphors in verses 12 and 13 for what these people are like. He says they're stains. They're blemishes on your love feast. And all, of, all a love feast is is basically this, this little church community. This little cross creek was having life groups on Sunday nights. This, this little old church were having small groups in people's homes. They would gather together. They would, they would share a meal with one another. And Jude is saying, when you get together for your life group love feast, he's saying, they have brought impurity into your community and you don't see it. They've injected impurity into the church life and you don't see it because they're shepherds who feed themselves. They're self-serving. They're looking out for numero uno and you are way on down the list, is what he's saying. Then he says they're clouds without water. They look full. Oh, they look all juicy and full. And they look like they're bringing the much-needed rain. Then those clouds passed. And they didn't deliver. Well, they promised much. They promised much. But they delivered little. Those waterless clouds. They're trees without fruit. The fruit of the Spirit's not in their lives. They're raging waves of the sea. Have you ever been maybe on a beach trip or something? Been on the seashore? There was a great storm coming in. I actually like it. If I'm going to be there for a couple of days, I like a rainy day at the beach. I kind of enjoy that, getting a little break from 105 degrees and sweating out in the sand. But have you ever been on your beach trip and that storm's coming in? And maybe it was the late afternoon and you watched that storm come up. Do you remember walking along the, uh, the shoreline and you start all that stuff from the bottom was kind of coming up and being swirled around and stirred up and it, maybe it was a little foamy? 
on top of the water. And there's a little bit washing up where you're walking, so you got a little bit higher as you're walking, maybe holding the hand of your spouse for your leisurely beach stroll. Well, the next morning, what happens? You walk out on your eighth-floor balcony with your coffee in your hand just to see how bad it was, see if it's still raining. Do you remember looking down there? If you've ever seen this, in that kind of wavy brown line that's all across the shoreline because of all that stuff that had been stirred up and it was pushed along the shore. Well, basically he says that these false prophets, they crash like waves and all they're doing is stirring up your moral filth. All they're doing with their teaching, with their perversion of God's grace, what they're doing is defiling your flesh. They're stirring up the moral filth that exists inside you. They're stirring it up and defiling your flesh. So he says the wandering stars, they blaze with light like a shooting star, but they're destined to burn out quickly. The point is that their life shows their heart. One last quick little way to try to demonstrate and illustrate this, and I'll I'll end with this. Whether you have children now, or maybe you remember growing up in your own household and how it was uh, with your parents, I think this will make sense. Children learn what you live in front of them. Children learn what you live in front of them. Now, it's important that they be taught and that they be instructed and if they be told the right way to do things, absolutely. But you will never be able to live down what you live in front of them. And here's the point. No matter how loudly we get down and we say it to their face, no matter how loudly we say it, what we actually do, our actions, what they actually see coming out of our heart in our day-to-day lives, show them more of how we actually live than what we that what we live in front of them is what they learn. So Jude is saying here of these false teachers, a life lived shows the heart. He said, that's the case. Be discerning. Be discerning with these teachers. Be discerning when you hear someone talking about His Word, about God's grace, about God's mercy. He's saying, stay alert. Because... God will judge. He will punish sin and the ungodly. The true gospel of Jesus produces trust, not in ourselves, but produces trust in Christ and His death to pay for our sins, which leads to that deeper faith, that trust, and that humility and holiness in our lives. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, What a joy that it is to come here this morning in Your presence, Lord, to read Your Word, to read the truthfulness of it. And Lord, we know, Lord, we have seen through the person of Your Son, Jesus, Your great love for us, that You would stop at nothing to rescue Your people. So, Lord, as we have seen this morning even examples before us, Lord, would it lead us to be discerning about what we believe? Lord, would we know why we believe, what we believe about the things of our God, of our Creator? Would we not create our own, but would we turn to You in the truthfulness of Your Word to know 
how you have related to us and how you call us to lead a more pleasing life to you. Lord, a more holy life now, although imperfect in this life, would you encourage us, would you motivate us this morning by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.